let's talk about networking. So I did an AMA on Instagram stories the other day, which I really enjoy doing, by the way, I feel like I need to do more of them because it's just a really low friction way for me to share value with you guys in a way that I don't have to overthink and that doesn't take quite as much work or time. So anyway, I love doing those. And one of the questions that came up was about networking. Specifically, I think it was something along the lines of, do you have any advice for navigating networking events? And then I got into my sort of general philosophy around networking. And I want to unpack that in this solo episode. Honestly, that is part of what makes the world go round is who you know in this world for better or worse. And so learning how to be skillful as a networker is, I find really paramount. And so I want to dive into some of my strategies and principles for that in this episode. Now, I happen to think that some of the best networking you can do comes from not really trying to network. So my advice, especially when it comes to some of the principles I have around networking, might be more on the side of surprisingly contrarian, but I'll get into why I think that actually ends up being the most effective thing you can do. I'm going to break up this episode into two sections. The first section is all about strategies and tactics. So just the pragmatic stuff, the tips and the optimizations and the hacks that I've picked up over the years that I've stress tested, that I've used successfully when I was fresh out of college all the way up to, you know, basically now. So these are specific tactics that you can implement that I believe will benefit you. And then the latter half of this episode is going to be more around general principles. So what are some principles or rules or what is a unifying philosophy of networking that I think is even more important and fundamental than some of these tactics? There are always going to be tactics you can use, always going to be tools you can implement. So I'm going to share with you five strategies and tactics, and then we're going to get into five principles. Tactic number one, Don't be afraid to cold email. Cold emails are great or sliding into the DMs, any kind of cold outreach. I actually think most people underutilize cold outreach. What I have found is that some people are surprisingly receptive to cold outreach if you can execute it the right way, if you can craft the right message, the right DM, the right cold email, and just approach it the right way, which I'll get into in a second, you might be surprised at how receptive people are. And not everyone is going to respond to you. In fact, probably most people are not. You might be surprised at who does respond because a lot of people are receptive to a well-crafted, thoughtful, cold message or email. And so I think it's really important to remember that sometimes there's no correlation between who's willing to give you the time of day and also how quote unquote important or busy they are. I found this to be true time and again. I mean, there are some people before I became a creator, when I was just kind of a a founder who was bootstrapping, there were some people who were willing to give me advice and mentor me who I felt like I had no business talking to. They were really successful and yet they were also so generous with their mentorship and advice. And I think part of it is because there are some people out there who not only just really love to pay it forward and give that advice. But also, again, people are appreciative when you go that extra mile to craft a thoughtful, cold message. And that sets the tone for the rest of the interaction. And then you have a chance of building a longstanding relationship with them. So anyway, this first step is all about just recognizing the importance and the power of a cold email. And I'm saying email, but again, it's all about outreach in general. It doesn't really have to be through email. I think that's the most popular medium for this, but you can also do LinkedIn. I've slid into the DMs of people before when I was working on MakeLane and we needed to find instructors. I would slide into the DMs of people on Instagram or sometimes on Twitter and it worked. Sometimes you have to be thoughtful and strategic about where is this person already being bombarded with messages and how can I find the platform where they're still fairly active, but maybe not being quite as bombarded so that I can stand out. Anyway, cold email, don't be afraid to do it. Now, 
How do you actually craft a good cold email? There are four keys. Number one, it has to be concise. Do not send a super long email for the love of God. They're not going to finish the whole thing. And you're just going to look like an amateur because you're wasting their time with too much information. You just want to get the basics across, right? Include who you are, why you're reaching out, something you like or appreciate about them. Don't be afraid to fluff up their ego a little bit. I mean, don't go on and on about it, but one line that is personalized about that is helpful. And then include your ask, be really clear about your ask. And if you have any social proof about what you're doing and who you are and what you're working on, that can be a really big bonus. Number two, the second part of crafting a good cold message is about personalizing it. I kind of alluded to that already. You want to personalize it. You want to make sure it doesn't scan like a copy and paste email. You really need to make it not look like a template that you're blasting to 50 other people. Even if it actually is, maybe you're sending some sort of message for, you know, sales purposes or biz dev or you're fundraising or something. I mean, there might be some parts of it you templatize, but you want to include at least one line, ideally in the beginning of the first paragraph, that is a little bit more personalized so that it's really clear right off the bat that this email is specifically for them and could not be for anyone else. I used to do this before, but now that I'm a TikTok creator and I get quite a bit of cold email on a weekly basis, this is something I immediately scan for, including with brand deals. I get a lot of emails about doing brand partnerships, brand collabs. I ignore every single email that does not personalize the email because I know that if they're just blasting people, they're not going to know the value of my content. They're not really going to understand what my content is all about. They're not going to really pay me what I'm worth because they're probably just trying to optimize for the lowest cost creators anyway. It's just not going to be fun. And who wants to really work with somebody who doesn't appreciate that specific person or talent for their unique offering, right? The third key is make it friendly, make it sound friendly. I think a lot of people in trying to come off super professional, make their emails sound super stuffy or robotic. Obviously you don't want to be so casual that it comes off unprofessional, but you also want to be warm and friendly and maybe even add a little joke in there. That can go a long way. That kind of levity and playfulness can go a long way towards making you just feel more human because these people are people. They don't just want to be bombarded with messages and emails where people are trying to pick their brain and extract knowledge from them, extract their time, right? They want to just feel like, oh, you appreciate their time you recognize that they're busy, you're adding a little bit of levity to make it feel more like a warm, friendly human connection. You're not just seeing them as a means to an end. And I think the tone, the overall tone of the message or email you write can help amplify that effect. And finally, you want to be clear. You want to be clear what you're asking them. You also want to try to just give a little bit of a sense that you want to talk to them for reasons that are not things that you could just easily Google or ask anybody else, right? You don't want to waste your chance, your opportunity talking to, let's say somebody who's the leading expert in your industry by asking them some nonsense questions that you could easily ask Google, or I guess these days chat GPT or something. You don't want to ask amateur questions. You want to ask them things that only really they could answer. Maybe it's about their specific learnings around a specific thing. Whatever it is, you just want to try to have not only a clear ask where you're saying, hey, I'd love to get 15, 20, 30 minutes of your time on a quick phone call or Zoom. When are you available? Whatever. You just want to make it really clear what you're asking. Also, I personally like to include a little bit about what I would like to talk about. So it's obvious that I'm not asking them things that are obvious. <laughs> so that's just a little signal to show them that you're not going to waste their time. 
Okay, so that's number one. Cold email, don't be afraid to do it. It's often underutilized as a strategy. And then make sure when you craft that email that you're doing it skillfully. In other words, you're making it concise and personalized and friendly and clear. Okay, number two, this is kind of an extension of that cold email, but the same principle applies when you do actually get time with somebody. Let's say you end up meeting somebody for coffee or you hop on a Zoom call with them, or you meet somebody at an event and you want to really double down on that connection and network with them more. You want to be specific, especially for those of you who are looking to quote unquote, pick people's brains. You want to be specific. You don't want to ask them dumb questions that you could easily Google. And you also want to make sure you You've done your homework on their work. What you don't want to do is ask them something that they spend a lot of time already answering on social media, or maybe they've written a book that kind of goes into the full thing in detail, right? Like if they are known for talking about a certain thing and you have not sufficiently done your homework around that thing, and you're asking them to repeat that whole entire book that they wrote or Twitter thread that they have spent the last several months kind of regurgitating. You don't want to do that because it just seems like, again, you're not respecting their time. It's sort of an amateur move. You just want to do your homework and then come up with interesting, specific, personalized questions. If you have questions. Number three, be thoughtful. What I mean by this, in addition to just generally putting yourself in their shoes and being mindful about their time and what you're asking them, what I mean is Try to give value or just show them that you value them, appreciate them in whatever little ways that you can. One thing that I've heard people say is don't just take value, be willing to give value if you're networking, if you're looking for a mentor or whatever. I think that's sound advice in theory, but I don't always think that people who are seeking advice or mentorship necessarily are in a position to be giving a lot of value. And You might be surprised at what value you can provide, but at the same time, if you are not really in a position right now to provide value, then you don't have to force it. You don't have to, and you don't have to feel like, well, if I don't have anything to give them, then I can't ask for anything from them. That's not necessarily true. Like I said, a lot of people love paying it forward. A lot of people love mentoring. So just be open to the idea that you don't necessarily have to immediately have something to give them in return instantaneously. It's not a transaction. They know that they're, you know, probably going to be helping you out a little bit more than you're helping them out. But if the opportunity ever does arrive to give them a little something, then don't be afraid to do that. Maybe you guys talked about something specific and then you come across an interesting article about that thing. You might want to be like, Hey, this recent Wall Street Journal article is actually such a good example of precisely what we talked about. Just a nice little gesture. They don't have to read it, but just the fact that you sent it, I think is a nice gesture because you're staying in touch. You're just, again, being more human, giving them that personalized attention. Those are all things that add up. The other way that you can be thoughtful is just by looking for ways to help them that are maybe not professional necessarily. Here's one example. I really wanted a certain person to mentor me in a specific area. I just wanted to maintain the connection with him professionally in general, because he is such sort of a fountain of knowledge in my industry and the direct consumer space. So he popped into my mind one day and I thought, oh, I want to send him a little note and just see how he's doing. So I went over to his Twitter 
and I saw that he was traveling with his family to a few specific cities in the United States. And so I noticed that some of those cities, especially one, was actually Providence. He was going through the town that I went to college in. So I drafted up a short email of some of my favorite restaurants and cafes and things to do in Providence, Rhode Island. And I sent it to him. I basically said, Hey, hope you've been doing well. I wanted to ask you about this thing. In the meantime, I saw that you're traveling to the cities specifically, including Providence. By the way, if you don't yet have an itinerary, here are some places I would recommend. Here are my favorite places. And then I wrote little descriptions of each next to the names of each place. So that's just a little gesture, right? Anybody can do that. That doesn't fall into the professional help or mentorship category. I didn't have to go out of my way either. It was just a nice little gesture and he really appreciated it. So that's an example. Anyway, be thoughtful, find ways to be thoughtful. Strategy number four, follow up. After you have some sort of a conversation with somebody, whether it's a phone call or a zoom call, or you meet up for coffee, especially if you meet up in person, I think it can be really nice to just send them a little note afterwards and say, Hey, thanks. I really appreciated our chat. I'm going to go buy the book that you recommended. I can't wait to read it. Here's the brand that I was talking about. Here's a link to their website. I think you'll really like their stuff, whatever, right? Just send a follow-up. I think this is just common courtesy in general, but I think with these sort of mentorship conversations or when you're networking with somebody, especially if there's sort of like a a discrepancy between what you can technically bring to the table versus them, if they're giving you a lot more value than you're able to give them at that juncture, then it can be nice to just give them that little extra something and say, Hey, I really appreciated that. Thank you. That show of appreciation is just a nice thing to do. And it's a small thing, but it matters. It's non-trivial. I'm a big believer in manners and courtesy and just being polite and being appreciative and expressing thanks at every chance. And I think this is a really nice way to do it. And finally, this is one of my favorite ones because it's something that very few people do and it makes such a difference. Stay in touch. This is different than follow-up. Follow-up is right after the fact, right? That same day or that same week, you're following up and saying, hey, thanks. It was great to chat. These are the things I learned. Can't wait to implement what you told me or whatever. Or let me follow up with more information about us potentially working together on that idea or project here's what I think, whatever, something along those lines. Staying in touch is more of a long game type thing. Staying in touch is more about, let's say you're fresh out of college, you're in your earlier mid twenties, and you are looking to make a career pivot. Maybe you want to break into venture capital and you're not exactly sure how, and you're networking with different VCs. And maybe you've talked to a dozen VCs, but you really hit it off with two of them. You want to stay in touch with those people. You want to follow up and let them know how you're doing. You want to give them updates, especially if those people expressed a desire to stay connected to you. And if they said, Hey, keep me posted. I'm excited to see what happens. This is my advice to you. Good luck. Like, you know, keep me in the loop. If they say anything like that, chances are they're going to really appreciate if you actually literally keep them in the loop and stay in touch. Another specific way you can implement this is if anybody ever makes an intro for you and that intro turns into something really helpful, I think it's so nice and also surprisingly rare for people to circle back to that original person who made the intro and say, Hey, 
Thank you so much for introducing me to Katie. She was awesome. We decided to collaborate on that project together and I can't wait. People love feeling helpful, especially people who are already going out of their way to help you. They want to know that that help amounted to something. So stay in touch, give people updates on how you're doing. Let them know if you're in town, say thank you for an intro that they made or a recommendation for a book or podcast episode or whatever that they gave you that you actually implemented, that is really powerful. This is an interesting little anecdote. So I don't know if you guys know Ramit Sethi, but he's this sort of personal finance guru. I actually really like him, not only because I'm biased and he's from Sacramento like me, but he's just a really funny, warm personality. And he's kind of an OG creator. He's been creating content on the internet for quite a while. He sells these courses on personal finance, but they don't actually seem scammy. They seem actually legit. He published a book. I've read this book. I think it's a bestseller. I'm pretty sure it's a bestseller. It's called I Will Teach You to Be Rich, which sounds like the scammiest title ever. But he's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast a number of times and on a lot of major podcasts. And he's just somebody who is obsessed with personal finance and making it palatable and easy and digestible for people. And I had been a fan of his content for a while because I learned a lot when I was in college. I read his book, I think, and I just learned so much about the foundations of personal finance. And and I really appreciated that, not only the knowledge, but also the fun, kind of playful, funny, accessible way that he presents a lot of his stuff. And so one day, and so one time I actually ran into him at a conference. I almost want to say it was HustleCon. I don't know if they're still doing HustleCon, but back in the day, maybe like 2015, 2016, It was a conference for business owners and entrepreneurs, and he was one of the speakers. And after he gave his talk in sort of like the main hallway or whatever, there were all these people crowded around him asking him questions. And then it was my turn to ask him a question. And I asked him, what are your main tips for networking? I actually asked him that question. And he gave me one specific strategy. And that was basically this. It was when people give you advice go implement that advice and then follow up on the results of that advice, especially if they were successful results, because people love to feel like their advice was actually not only internalized, but implemented and then implemented successfully. And they're going to feel so grateful for you for following up with them because everybody who's creating any kind of content or putting any knowledge out there or trying to do anything useful, they want to feel like they're making an impact, right? So in a way you're actually giving them something really nice. And that's the advice he gave me. And since then I've tried to do that. I actually forget quite a bit because I especially when I was working in tech, I was doing quite a bit of networking, but I have noticed that people really do appreciate it when I go that extra mile, when I remember. So stay in touch. And you guys would be shocked to learn how often I end up giving people advice or mentorship. And I tell them, Hey, keep me posted. Let me know what happens. And then if you need my help with X, Y, and Z, I'm here, I'm available. And they don't usually get back to me. In fact, they almost never do. I mean, I get it. People are busy, right? And this is not something I want them to do for my sake, but it's just surprising how rarely people actually implement this strategy. So anyway, it's a small lift with high ROI and it just makes people feel good and it goes a long way. Okay. That was all about the strategies and the tactics. Now let's move on to principles. These are the things that I'm really passionate about. Like I said, they're going to be a little bit contrarian because I personally believe that the best networking is not really networking per se, not in the way at least that people tend to think about networking. I actually think the best networking is just doing good shit, building good connections and being discerning. 
that's kind of it. I mean, if you just took that away from this episode and just stopped listening here, that would be fine. But I hope you stick around because I want to get deeper into it with you. So there are five principles I have for networking that have been really successful for me and my life. Number one, don't schmooze with people you don't enjoy. That might sound obvious, but I actually think it's incredibly non-obvious, especially when you're early in your career or you feel like there's this big power disparity between you and the people that you're looking to network with where you feel like, well, they're important and they're special and they're smart and they're successful. So I need to talk to them. Whatever you want to do, if you have the determination and resilience and savviness, you're going to figure it out no matter what. So don't schmooze with people you don't enjoy. It's as basic as that. Try to reframe from any kind of scarcity mindset that's telling you you should or you need to be networking with everyone and schmoozing with everyone to I get to have what I get to have because it is inevitable for me. I get to have it because I deserve it because I'm going to do whatever I can to have this success that I'm looking for. As long as there's not like one single gatekeeper to my dreams, I'm going to be discerning about who I connect with and who I give my time and energy to. And I'm going to let myself connect to people that I genuinely enjoy because my peace and my enjoyment, they're too important to connect with assholes or to waste my time with people I find boring or insufferable. I think it's more straightforward to acknowledge that this is how we should approach our social lives and our romantic lives, hopefully. But I think the same goes for our professional lives. And here's the thing, when we are super discerning about who we give our time and energy to in every area of our lives, including the professional context, that can go a long way towards preserving our precious energy and vitality. And I almost think of it as our magnetism. Our magnetism is like this kind of stockpile of energy, this subtle energy that we carry in our bodies. And every time we do something that kind of goes against our integrity or truth, our soul, we erode some of that vitality, some of that life force energy. Every time we say yes to our soul, every time we nourish ourselves, every time we honor our own deepest truth with every little decision, it brightens that light and adds a deposit to that stockpile of energy. This is literally how I live my life. And that's why I'm so picky about the things that I do and the people that I hang out with and even who I talk to in a way that might seem a little bit excessive. But I found that this is precisely what I need to be my most magnetic self in every area of my life. And I think that networking is a great place to practice this. Now, my caveat here is that I recognize that this is not always possible. I recognize that there is some degree of privilege inherent in this. There are certain industries, certain circumstances where there simply are gatekeepers. We do need to tolerate assholes. Maybe that asshole is our boss. Maybe that asshole is our employer or some colleague that we just have to deal with. In those cases, I would argue that you're not really networking. You're already in that network, right? You're not trying to insert yourself into a certain situation in some way. You're not really trying to build that mutually advantageous connection. You're kind of already embedded in that structure. But all that to say, I recognize and acknowledge, fully acknowledge that there are contexts where you actually can't really practice this principle in its purest form. What I'm saying is when there are situations where you can be discerning about this, where it is up to your discretion, then err on the side of honoring yourself and what lights you up. Number two is kind of similar, but it's a little different. Same, same, but different quality over quantity. So this is actually a good principle to go back to the original question in Instagram stories that sparked this whole networking spiel that I have. When you're especially at a networking event, I think sometimes it can be tempting to take a spray and pray approach and try to meet a lot of people and do the rounds and work the room and 
pass out your business card to 20 people. There is a quantity over quality approach you can potentially take, but, and it's probably not going to be surprising that I'm saying this. I personally believe that it's way more effective, advantageous, and enjoyable and authentic to go for quality over quantity. How can you just optimize for finding those people that you genuinely enjoy having a conversation with, and then just double down on those connections. Because here's the thing, the deeper your relationship with somebody or the more you click with somebody, the more you hit it off with someone, the more likely they're going to be to want to help you anyway, and vice versa, right? You're going to want to help them. And then you're actually initiating the most promising networking connection without necessarily trying to. So instead of just flinging your business card at you know people every minute, Focus on just having good conversations with people that you enjoy and double down on those connections. Now that's on a micro scale, right? If you're at an event, that's kind of one helpful way, I think, that you can think about networking and approach networking. This is especially true if you're an introvert. I actually identify as, I would say, probably an ambivert. My Myers-Briggs often comes out as ENFP, but sometimes I'm an INFP. I kind of waffle. I oscillate because I do identify mostly as an introvert who loves the company of good people I can have deep conversations with. That is my happy place. I love small, intimate gatherings. I love talking to people. I'm so curious about people. I love asking them questions, learning more about their hopes and dreams, but it's only with select people. I love people who have depth and are soulful and are self-aware and introspective because I find those conversations to be the richest and the most enjoyable for me. If it's not that, I'd rather just be home by myself reading or listening to a podcast or watching Succession or whatever the hell I do on my own time. So this quality over quantity thing is a good approach for introverts, especially, especially if you feel super awkward and socially anxious and self-conscious, like I often do at networking events, then I think this is a good thing to do. You don't have to force yourself to do the rounds, work the room, because I used to actually do that and I hated it and I just wanted to go home. And now I just don't force myself to do that. Like I'll get there. I'll talk to a few people. If it just generally feels like my vibe, I'll stick around. I'll talk to more people. I'll build deeper connections. And then if I just can't find anyone to click with, I'll just go home. I'll leave. I actually had a really good example of this tonight at this dinner that I went to of founders, especially in CPG and D2C, and also a few investors. I ended up spending most of my time talking to two people, the person sitting in front of me, the person sitting next to me. I could have tried to, you know, cast a wide net by working that table and talking to everybody and flitting about. And that's definitely one approach. I mean, look, if that's more your style and if you're a raging extrovert, then more power to you. But if you're not and you don't like networking in the more conventional sense and you find these events to be anxiety inducing, like I do sometimes, then give yourself permission to do it the way that you like. When it comes to quality over quantity, the other way that this can show up is going back to this idea of following up with people and staying in touch with people. When I was starting out my career, I was reaching out to a lot of people to learn about a few different industries I was interested in, management consulting, the advertising agency world, and the startup world. And I was talking to a lot of people And when you talk to a lot of people, you're going to hit it off with a few of those people. You're going to find that some people are genuinely interested in helping you out and are really invested in your success and want to help. And you also get along with them. Like there are going to be some people that you just hit it off with, right? With those people, you want to double down on those connections. When I say follow up, stay in touch, I mean with those people that you felt like, wow, I really want to keep this person in my life and ideally even get closer to them. If that's the case, then, I mean, this sounds so obvious, but I don't think it's actually obvious 
selfies. Stay in touch. Stay in touch with those people specifically. Not the people that you don't want to keep talking to just because you think you should or like you think there's some important opportunity on the other side of that. That is also a way that you can practice this whole quality over quantity thing. Okay, number three. This brings me to don't think of it as networking, which is an approach that I find focuses too much on the outcome. Focus instead on the relationship building, which is all about the experience. It's about the connection, right? So networking kind of implies, well, let's break down what actually it means. Networking is essentially mutually advantageous professional connection, right? Hopefully mutually, but it's some sort of advantageous professional connection. Now, emphasis on advantageous. There's something you can potentially stand to gain from it. The potential trap here is that if you are overly focused on what you can gain, then you start to see these connections in a more transactional way and then you're not taking the time to just enjoy the connection. I mean, think about the worst example you can think of, of the schmooziest chat in the room, right? Somebody who's just flinging their business card at people, not really taking the time to listen to other people or really connect with them, but just as seeing everybody as a potential means to an end. That's not fun. And that is actually going to backfire on you because you're not enjoyable to connect with. Don't think of it as networking. Okay. Number four, do things that are worthy of a network. And I don't mean, and I don't mean you have to be super successful or have a reputation. What I mean is do something that's going to make you interesting. Work on a project that people are going to find compelling or want to help out with. Think about what they could stand to gain from you, why they would find you interesting. And not only be the kind of person who other people would find interesting to connect to, but also frame it in that way. Don't be afraid to strategically brag about your accomplishments so that you can at least signal to people, hey, I built this amazing community for people who do this thing. And I really want to connect with you or have you come and speak to the community. If you say that, you have done something that is worthy of someone's time and they're going to get a lot more out of it than just giving you the opportunity for 15 or 30 minutes to pick their brain. They're going to be able to have an impact on this larger community. This is just an example. This is an example I'm using also because it was true for me. I was literally building a community of thousands of women who are direct-to-consumer founders and e-commerce founders. And because I had this community, I was able to basically reach out to all these different people and get them to give me the time of day. If I were just reaching out to these 100 plus people is who we ultimately had on in the final count as instructors, if I were just reaching out to these people to say, hey, can you give me specifically, individually, privately your time and distill your years of hard work and lessons into 30 minutes so I can just pick your brain and extract all your knowledge will you please do that for me and take time out of your busy schedule to do that? That's not an easy sell, right? But again, if you follow a lot of the strategies I've talked about, it's going to be a lot easier to get them to say yes. But if you give them something like, hey, here's an opportunity, here's a little mini platform for you to have more of an impact that I have cultivated. Do you want to come and speak to us? That's easier. I think a podcast is similar, right? Because I mean, that's what I'm learning right now is the podcast is a great excuse to finally have in-depth conversations with people because they stand to gain exposure from it. There's something in it for them, right? So that's just one example. The other example, and this is not something that I'm saying you should emulate, but I want to provide this example to illustrate a larger point, which is I always had to kind of climb uphill in a way in order to connect with the founders and the investors and the operators, especially in the direct consumer world, the startup world, the tech world that I really admired. It was always a bit of a challenge to try to get these people 
on a call with me or in a meeting with me or to grab coffee with me, right? To give me the time of day, which makes sense. It makes sense because I hadn't really done much. I'd kind of experimented with a lot of my career and didn't have that much to show for it for quite a while. And then the TikTok thing happened. And then a lot of sometimes even those very same people that I had tried to get in touch with before started reaching out to me and saying, I'm a big fan of your content. I'd love to meet up. Creators I used to follow, founders I used to admire, investors I used to try to get in touch with, right? It's lovely to connect with just people who I think are doing interesting things. But the lesson here is this. I became a TikTok creator and gained some traction in this kind of very specific niche of direct consumer and startups and beauty brands, et cetera. I became a creator and gained some traction and that positioned me in a way where it made it easier for me to connect with these people because they started reaching out to me. And then on the very few occasions I reached out to them after I started to gain some of this traction, it was very easy to connect to them, right? And the lesson here, again, not saying everyone should go and become TikTok creators per se. I mean, you can if that's what calls to you. But the lesson is work on things and do things and don't just wait for somebody to give you permission. Don't even wait for it to be monetized. Just add value in the world. Work on interesting projects. Do it now. Like if there's a project or some sort of a thing that you want to do or some sort of a cause you care about, then just do that thing now. And then whatever comes of that, that comes from that genuine passion and dedication, you're going to be able to share that with people and say, hey, I'm the person behind this project. You're doing something that is bigger than the both of you. And that's something that people always gravitate towards. One funny example is this side project I did called Startup Stork. And the idea was, oh, we throw women baby showers to celebrate them when they reach that milestone of becoming a mother and entering motherhood and starting a family, but we don't throw them business showers. But I know a lot of women who have poured their entire lives into building a company. It is a lot of work. Sometimes it's like birthing a whole new entity into the world, right? And it takes just as much care and attention. And it's always screaming, crying and throwing up and you need to clean up after it. I mean, it kind of is very similar in some ways. So why don't we throw women business showers, especially if we're in this supposedly more progressive era where we're fighting for gender equality? Why don't we help women out, especially if they're less likely to get funding and less supported and their businesses tend to make less revenue? If that's the case, then we should be helping out their communities, their friends and family should maybe chip in. Like I liked this idea of a business shower. And so I just decided to kind of create a little one page website on Squarespace about it, create a little PDF that people could download. And that was it. That was literally literally it. It was not meant to be a business. It never was monetized. It was just a little side project because I wanted people to share the website, download the PDF and share it with each other and repost it and just start that conversation of, hey, we should start throwing each other business showers. And basically, and I still to this day don't really know how she found out about it. A New York Times reporter picked it up and included it in this article she wrote about this idea of business showers. And that was pretty cool. And here's the thing. I could have used that maybe as a little talking point if I were reaching out to people. And I could have said, hey, I am the creator behind this concept all about throwing women business showers. I'd love to talk to you as a fellow female founder. Do you have 20, 30 minutes to talk about XYZ? I think that would have been a stronger talking point than I just want to pick your brain. Can I talk to you? Again, the reason I use this example is because it's a case of me having an idea, not waiting for permission and just making it happen because I genuinely wanted this thing to exist and people to have more discourse around it. And I didn't want to wait for anybody to give me that permission or to give me that platform. Everybody can do that. Everybody has something they care about. Everybody has different ideas. You don't always have to monetize everything. You don't always have to turn everything into a whole giant career. That's something I love about Silicon Valley, especially the more sort of hacker mentality of Silicon Valley, because people just build 
things. They just tinker and they build things and they work on projects that maybe even they never intend to monetize or raise capital for or whatever. They just wanted to exist. And that's the thing that they get enjoyment out of. And who knows, sometimes those things might actually turn into billion dollar companies, but that's not the point. The point is you're doing things and not waiting for anyone to tell you you can or can't. And when you do that, it's much more likely you will be able to connect to other people who appreciate and respect that. And also maybe who have some shared interests around that particular theme or topic. And finally, number five, this is one that I especially love because I find it to be such a powerful hack and it's so simple, but it's just a really effective strategy and it's a good reframe. So number five is all about thinking of networking as two people who are passionate about a shared third thing, discussing that thing. Maybe it's a cause, maybe it's a project, maybe it's an idea, maybe it's a particular technology, whatever it is. If you care about a certain thing and you're ideally looking for somebody to help you with it, help you understand it better, help you understand a certain problem better and how to tackle it and how to come up with solutions for it, or maybe you're building a thing, or maybe you have a certain kind of business with a certain mission that's bigger than just the product. There's something you care about. There's something you're curious about and you're passionate about. You may be an expert, maybe you're not an expert, maybe you're a total beginner, but you care about it and you find it really important and you wanna talk to other smart people about that thing. If that's the angle that you're coming to it from, instead of just, hey, I wanna talk to you so you you can help me advance my career, that's less inspiring to people. Instead, if it's, hey, I really think that this new technology can have profound applications in this other sort of area. And you have a ton of experience in this industry. So I would love to get your thoughts on this idea that I've been working on. People are going to be much more likely to say yes to that. If you share that passion and you guys get to connect on the basis of that, that is just energizing and fulfilling for everyone involved. So I actually find that one of the most powerful hacks to networking, if you want to call it that, is to just be really passionate about something and to find other people who are passionate about that thing to talk to you about it. You connecting with somebody around a shared passion or cause or mission or idea that makes that connection much more likely and fruitful. That is that spark bringing you two together. So those are my principles for networking. These have served me well. I hope they serve you well. I think if I had to draw any conclusion here, it's basically be empathetic, be thoughtful, be passionate, do things that are interesting and creative and worthy. And honestly, if you're just heads down focusing on doing good work in the world without waiting for anyone's permission, without waiting to completely feel ready, just following your inspiration, trusting yourself, honoring your truth, honoring your excitement and passion and enthusiasm, if you just keep doing that, the networking is going to come so much easier. Like that's ultimately, honestly, the best advice I can give, but that I think can read a little too close to just be successful and then networking will be easier. It's like, okay, well, how do I do that? But I'm not saying you need to be successful. I'm not saying you need to have clout. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying be passionate, be dedicated, do good shit. People will want to connect with you. Focus on things that are not networking and the networking part. All of that stuff will take care of itself. That is truly the biggest lesson that I've learned over the last decade and especially over the last year is just do the work and everything else will take care of itself. Honor yourself, be brave, follow your inspiration, trust yourself, trust yourself deeply, and everything else will fall into place. That is the lesson in this episode and basically in every episode, but I hope it helps. And I'd love to hear what you guys think. If you got anything out of this, feel free to share it with a friend, by the way. And also, if you want, go ahead and DM me on Instagram to let me know your thoughts because I love hearing your thoughts. I love hearing your feedback. Until next time.